0: Welcome into to another episode of Around the Loop. I'm Will Gray, usually joined with Lucas Hoig and Larry Larson. But today I had the opportunity to interview Robert Schmitz, one of the best on Bears Twitter. We broke down a lot about Ryan Poles and his young career as GM of the Chicago Bears. Um, does Roquan Smith deserve a contract extension? Same thing with David Montgomery. Do either of those players deserve contract extensions in Chicago? We talked about Eddie Jackson, Justin Fields, the offensive line, Luke Getz, Matt Eberflus. And don't worry, Bears fans, we even broke down our predictions for Week 2 and tonight's matchup against the Green Bay Packers on primetime. Here's the interview with Robert. Robert Schmitz. He's a writer and podcaster for the Windy City Gridiron. His YouTube channel, RPO plus Second City Gridiron, is one of the best film accounts on YouTube. His Twitter is at Robert K. Schmitz, and he is your Chicago Bears go-to film guy. Robert, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Dallas, Texas, and we are getting geared up for a, what would you call this, like a house money game with Chicago yeah. and Green Bay tomorrow, I'm I'm stoked because obviously we know the Bears are nine and a half point dogs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know this Packers team has had the Bears number over the last couple day or days, years, basically my whole life. As far as I've been alive, Will, I don't know yeah. about you, but yeah. the, the Bears have this wonderful opportunity to steal a game. And if they mm-hmm. don't, all they'll be doing is meeting expectations. But if they exactly. do, they may set the NFL on fire. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you said there. And that, I feel like, you know, watching the news, the sports news this week, what's pissing me off the most is like, everyone's like, oh, can the Bears steal a game from the Packers? They stole it from the 49ers. And I'm like, please stop hyping this up. Like, cause now it's like, oh, the Bears actually might do this. And I'm like sitting here thinking to myself, okay, Aaron Rodgers coming off an awful week has never turned out good for us. They, they've always been extremely well when they're heavily favored we always seem to get a primetime game in Lambeau Field, which never turns out well. So it's just like, this is, please stop hyping this up. Because I just, I've seen this storyline before, and it doesn't usually play out in our favor. Regardless of all that, I am so excited for tomorrow night's game. It's just a new era here in Chicago. Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, uh, a more disciplined football team that we saw um, compared to anything. You know, we did not see the Bears call a timeout and then go out there and get a delay of game like we've seen. yes. This.
1: <laughs> Thank goodness. It made me
0: feel good. And it made me feel very happy that we only had three penalties for 24 yards, and 15 of those were because Trenton Gill wanted to wipe off the field with a towel. Right. That that (laughs) made me feel very good. But Dallas, Texas, Robert, how'd you become a Bears fan?
1: Oh Well, my great grandfather played for the Bears, or at least that's the lore that I've been told. Yeah. Claire Schmitz back in 1923 for a couple of years was playing on at the time. It was the Decatur Staley's back in the day where you show up for a week, you get a free helmet. And Mm -hmm. so that's. That's why my family cheers for the Bears. I mean, I guess the, I guess like my reason as a 27 year old man who was not alive in the 20s is because my dad cheers for the Bears, but that's the story. So not so bad, right? No, I'd be sticking
0: with it. <laughs> Crazy thing about the Decatur Staley is my dog's name is Staley. And like everyone always asks me, why is his name Staley? I'm like, and they're Bear fans asking me that. I'm like, do you guys not know the history? like right of the chicago Bears, the
1: mascot's name staley, yeah, like mascot
0: staley it's and not like dog. that went
1: away <laughs> no yeah it's
0: just like this didn't disappear but i want to talk about a few things in regards to last sunday's game first and i saw your okay. remarks on twitter i'm not you know pulling quotes here like a reporter or anything but sure you what something that stood out to me was your remarks in regards to roquan smith you said that how he compared to to frank warner or to fred warner um you know, they didn't really match up and that. Fred Warner, you know, stood out a lot more. And, uh, you know, Smith is great. He's a phenomenal linebacker. But if he wants to be paid like played like paid like paid the best, he has to play like the best. What stood out on film that you, you really saw out there in separation between the two?
1: Will, you really are putting me to the test, aren't you? Because you're going to start with my most controversial take. I, mean, I didn't
0: think it was that. I personally, though, you know, I'm being honest with you. I didn't think it was that controversial. And I agreed with your statement on it. And you know the Bears homers like we've talked about are going to uh, come after you. But you know you're you're true to the film. You're true to what you see. What what stood out between the two?
1: Well, first off, I have to take that word Homer and remind anybody that it's easy to be one. I'm a Bears Homer all the time. I mean, yes. when like all it is is just having a favorite player, that favorite player being Roquan Smith. I mean, come on, you and I both know that Chicago's rich tradition of linebackers and running yes. backs makes it yes. so easy to fall in love with the next in line for the throne. And the trouble is, is that as soon as this season started, I I know that I've, I was probably a year too early uh, when it came to 2021 on this, but We had to stop grading Roquan like a young, former eighth overall pick. We had to start grading Roquan like, is he a tier one linebacker at his position? Mm -hmm. And the trouble is, is that while Roquan's really good in pass coverage, that will linebacker role is one of the primary, like, Run pursuers, run fitters, and Darius Leonard, well, now he's Shaquille Leonard, has been phenomenal in that role in Indianapolis to go with some solid production in terms of his like seven interceptions. How could I not mention that? But I tell you that if I matched them up, I think Roquan's a better cover linebacker. The problem is, is that Roquan continually tried to undercut blocks. So Envision, just put, put yourself in your mind's eye, staring at an offensive lineman attacking Roquan to block him. Roquan would attempt to dip underneath the block, and in mm-hmm. so doing, give the hole away. So instead yeah. of trying to put his shoulder into an offensive lineman, admittedly, that's hard, unless you're somebody like Nick Wachowski or somebody like that. Instead of trying to clog the run hole, he would attempt to take, let's call it a risky maneuver that at worst leaves the hole wide open and is as if you're not even there. And at best you make the tackle, but he only got to the tackle about 28, 30% of the time. And so the problem with that is that when, while I know Roquan's tackle numbers are glittery for me personally, Will, I don't really care about tackle statistics. I want to know Is that linebacker that we're trying to see if he's worth $20 million? Is he making the plays in the run game that number 54, Fred Warner, across from him was? Warner was a warrior. In the hole. And I know that a lot of that has to do with the defensive line he had in front of him. When you've got Arik Armistead when you've got Nick Bosa, when you've got some of the fiercest defensive linemen in the NFL in front of you, you can do you could take a lot of chances, you can stand completely unobstructed in a lot of ways that others can't. But when Warner did get blocked, he still made the play about four or five times. And when Roquan got blocked, whether it was an offensive lineman or a tight end, he he kind of evaporated more than he probably should. I mean, it's, I, I, I hate talking about this because I personally think for somebody that's like roughly 240 pounds and I know he's six, two, so he's way bigger than I am. He plays kind of small, but if we're going to pay him like an edge rusher, he's got to make more impact plays than I think he made on Sunday. Cause I will tell you, he had a lot of opportunities to make a lot more impact plays in the running game than he did. And that's a bummer because I don't want to try to make the argument that Nick Morrow played better than Roquan Smith. I know how that kind of thing goes in the common like realm of discussion on bears Twitter, but it's what I saw. And hopefully we see better from him on week two. Maybe it has something to do with just missing camp.
0: No, I, I agree completely. And we're over here talking about him being paid and should he be paid like uh, paid, like Fred Warner paid, like Shaquille Leonard, uh, formerly Darius Leonard, I always see his name pop up on Twitter as Shaquille Leonard, and I'm like, who the hell is that? <laughs> but it, it it's just Darius Leonard. So w- moving forward, how does Ryan Poles handle something like this? He's such a young GM, and you know, Roquan is arguably the best piece, best young piece at that uh, part of this. You know, you know riddled defense that we're trying to work into a championship. Defense through Ryan Poles. How does he handle the situation? Football, this isn't 2005 anymore, Robert. You know, I know linebacker position is not a top tier position anymore in today's game. And Roquan wants to be paid like the best linebacker in the game. How do you handle that? How, as Ryan Poles, how do you think he should be going forward with the situation? Like, it's tough to let, you know, the best player on our defense just walk. Well, at the same time, like, yeah. You want to build a championship football team. You look around the league at championship teams. A lot of them aren't paying the linebacker position top tier
1: money. Nope. I mean, if you have a really fabulous linebacker, like uh, like the Browns do in joke, obviously he can make some absolutely just sizzling plays. And credit to Fred Warner and what D'Amico Ryans had done over in San Francisco. They play a lot of five down fronts so that Warner can sit back. They, they play – Green Bay plays more, but like they'll they'll rush the passer and send the fifth linebacker and have Fred be the only one sitting back in coverage in many cases. And he is it's as if he like plays the space that two guys normally would. Fred Warner is a feature piece as an inside linebacker, which is really cool. Uh, You ask me what Ryan Poles should be doing. I actually think he's doing it right. It's just a bummer to watch. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I I am very pro player when it comes to getting paid. It was such a good thing. Tariq Cohen got er, paid when he did for exactly the reason that we saw after the fact. Like Roquan Smith deserves a paycheck. I just think the linebacker position is massively overvalued. I mean, Eric Kendricks back in 2018 got a record setting deal that paid him $11 million a year. Two years later, Fred Warner got paid $19 million a year to play fundamentally the same position. I mean, it's the way that linebacker contracts have ballooned is something, honestly, to be wary of because the last team to give a super deal at running back was the Cowboys, and we can obviously see based on what happened last uh, Monday, right, that they they are feeling the effects of that Ezekiel Elliott contract giving a super deal to a positional player that, may not warrant the money is not something to just blow off because the bears have a ton of cap space next year. It sticks with you for years, but with that, within that, I get the impression, and this is a little bit of speculation. It's actually quite a lot of speculation. Will, that Ryan Poles sat down with Matt Eberflus and asked him, okay, what do you plan on doing with Roquan Smith? How does he fit in the defense? What are you going to have him do? Right. And Matty Berflus explained, well, you know, he's the will linebacker. He's got to be one of the most athletic players on the field. He's going to cover the running back on like 40% of his snaps. He'll QB spy mobile quarterbacks. And every once in a while, I'll drop him into coverage so that he, we can use his coverage skills. And Ryan Poles stroked his chin, so to speak, and said, that sounds about like a $15, 16000000 million player. Yeah. And offered it to Roquan. And if Roquan doesn't like it, Roquan does not have to take it. But he's, I don't think Poles is lowballing him. I think Poles is trying to get a sense for what the actual value of a linebacker is. And I don't blame Roquan for not liking that offer. You know, that's not what the market says a linebacker is worth. So I don't know what comes next. The Bears very feasibly could franchise tag Roquan if they wanted to keep him for another year without any negotiating whatsoever and then attempt to trade him. But I don't know if this is going to be. I don't know if what the ending is going to be for this because I think that both Polls and Roquan have very valid points for what they want, and I'm not convinced that you said. So you said earlier, Roquan's the best young piece in this defense. I think Eddie Jackson's still young enough to qualify for that. Uh, I think Jalen Johnson's a phenomenal talent out there at outside corner. I think that. I mean, I don't want to immediately dive into Dominique Robinson praise or Travis Gibson way too early. I think that there are more pieces on this defense than just the, just number 58, because on a day, on a day where 58 didn't play well, the bears held the opposing team to 10 points. So I, I don't know. The trouble here will, is that if you asked me, I would tell you upfront and honest, I think Roquan is a very, very good tier two linebacker and like out of, out of like 10 tiers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like tier two is very high. He's, yeah. he's not in the super top flight of linebackers and that's okay. The problem that I have will is that I struggle to find the games in my, my data bank of bears games where I felt like Roquan took over and you said to yourself without number 58 at linebacker, we absolutely lose. And you can make, you can think of games like that for even Jalen Johnson for Khalil Mack back when he played Roque or what is it? Robert Quinn took over games. Eddie Jackson has had those kinds of days. Like uh, Keem Hicks had like five of those uh, in 2018 alone. Like there are tons of players that we've seen on these legendary Chicago defenses in some cases that have just dominated and taken yes. over and yes. If I was going to say the cake icing metaphor, Rogue One has shown to me to be nothing more than really, really good icing, and I want to pay the cake. But that, I think, is relatively controversial on my part.
0: I agree. It just, it just doesn't seem like a way of moving forward in building a championship roster here and paying him that kind of money. And I agree with everything that you've said so far, you know, Eddie Jackson has taken over games. We had guys, I could not, I could not sit here and tell you, I remember last year, I think it was the Ravens game where he had like 13 tackles at halftime. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, Oh my, and we lost that game <laughs> we mm-hmm. to Tyler Huntley. So I completely, completely agree with you. And you brought up Ezekiel Elliott, and the Cowboys and their contract. And that also brings us to the next point of David Montgomery also playing on a contract year. And the most bears thing about this, Robert is in George McCaskey's closing press conference of the 2021 season. He goes, the two players that stand out to me the most are David Montgomery and Roquan Smith. And those are two non-premium positions in the NFL that stand out to him. So now he brings in Ryan Poles, who seems to actually know what he's doing, kind of, when it comes to running a franchise. It's early, obviously, can't say anything yet, but he's looking so far smart enough to not just hand $20 million to Roquan Smith, which I think is a smart move into building a championship team. And now it brings us to David Montgomery, who is on a contract year, and we don't want to go into a situation, like you said, like the Cowboys. Where you, and he's not at that point yet where he, in my opinion, deserves that kind of money by any means but do we pay David Montgomery $13 million a year in the, in my opinion, the most replaceable position in football?
1: So it's tough because the NFL, I, I don't think the NFL pays near enough attention to running back pass blocking and running back route running, both of which Montgomery is way better at than Khalil Herbert. But as far as actual system fit running the ball, I think last week's game where Herbert had like, um, I'm going entirely off the top of my head. He had like, eight to nine carries for 45 some odd yards, whereas Montgomery got double that carry amount and couldn't produce 30 yards is a nice reminder that Herbert fits the system and Dave Montgomery, not quite as much. So is Montgomery worth the six to $8 million that he would probably get? Well, right now, will he's not producing enough to justify a huge extension. So the cheaper he gets, the more realistic extending it might be, you do have to put the money somewhere. Like to all the people out there that are saying, Why wouldn't you expect or why wouldn't you extend Roquan? You've got enough money. That actually applies to something. Cap space doesn't win you games, right? And as much as I'd love for polls to be a smart spender, there's kind of no such thing. Like when it when it comes to a free agent spending spree, you you do have to overpay. You it's just a matter of who you overpay, right? But The other option will, and this one, look, I don't want to call it nefarious, but in the world of it's just business, an extremely excited and fired up David Montgomery might be on the path of having the overwhelming majority of his carries, like the last carries of his career maybe, used this year, and then pulls doesn't extend him. Like, we'll see what happens, but... It is possible that if polls has an extremely future oriented mindset that he might he might start or like he might allow David Montgomery to eat the bulk of the carries without thinking too hard about it, which saves Khalil Herbert's body for future seasons. If he sees him as the starter and then lets David Montgomery walk in free agency. I mean, I don't know what polls has in mind i think that you me and everybody else on like in the bears world okay not everybody but we were all surprised when the bears pulled out a win against san or san francisco and i don't think it changes the math but i will say every single surprise win the bears have this year allows polls to sit that much further back and be that much more relaxed as this team continues to play their football games because it there was a world where the bears won like three games this season. I know everybody says that that was ridiculous, but like there's a world where, whether it's fields gets hurt or Mooney tore his ACL early or Eddie Jackson and the rest of the defense, like have whether it's cohesion problems and then Jalen's shoulder pops out and he misses a bunch of weeks. And then Eddie hurts himself around like week five. And you're just consistently missing people, right? Like this team wasn't good enough to overcome health issues and, and, if they had those they could have lost a lot of football games and that would have set bears or like the bears world on fire because you can't lose that many games and not have people mad about it but right now will they just beat san francisco like if they lose to the packers it's all gravy and if they win to, if they beat the packers people are going to start saying super bowl in like on the internet so with expectations and ridiculous stuff like that Ryan Poles has got to be sitting pretty because whatever decisions he makes if Ryan Poles today came out an oppressor no let's say he beats the packers first tomorrow night 11:30 p.m. the bears beat the packers Ryan Poles takes the microphone and the first thing he says is we're trading Roquan Smith i don't even know if people would be mad Like the more games this team wins, the more invincible the GM becomes. And I think that's exactly where he wants to be, because I think personally, we're going to continue to see major roster turnover. I don't think Cody Whitehair is in the future plan. I don't think that the Bears receiver room is near put together. I think that there's a lot of changes coming, but if the Bears can keep finding ways to win these football games, like you said, whether it's David Montgomery, whether it's Roquan Smith. There are a lot of hard decisions, business decisions, if you will, that might just get made. And the more that the team has succeeded already, the more fans are going to be content with them either way.
0: Oh, exactly. I mean, I remember us just letting uh, Adrian Amos walk in 2018 and everyone was like, oh, who cares? He was the worst player on our amazing defense. Right. And now you know, I was just like, uh, you know, it would have been nice to have him around the uh, last few years. It's and easy that brings- to caught up in it. No, exactly. But you were talking about Cody White here. And I thought, you know, Matt Eberflus had an amazing week one as coach. I'm not questioning what they're doing with the offensive line, him and Luke Getze. I'm just a little lost. I'm not saying, oh, they're doing things wrong because I don't know. I'm not saying they're doing things right because I don't know. What is their approach here with Jenkins at right guard? Patrick, I know obviously things are a little different because Patrick has a cast on his right arm and it's hard for him to snap the ball. What is their approach going on here with Patrick at right guard swapping in Jenkins, who had a phenomenal game. Both of them I thought played fairly well at that right guard position. Like what, what do you think their ideal five is? And like I said, I completely agree with you. I don't think Cody, I was stunned to see him named captain on this team because I do not see him a part of our future plans at all. I think he's obviously regressed very heavily since 2018 when he was a pro bowler. Are they, you know, maybe working in both of them at the guard position to see if you know they can live with Sam Mustafer at center in the future, which I also don't see being, you know, an ideal situation. But like, what do you think they're doing with this offensive line? And what do you think their ideal five is?
1: Your guess is as good as mine. I I don't know. The the rotation thing's very weird. I mean, mm-hmm. I you just don't see it very commonly ever. I mean, it's it's very it, rare. It comes across like uh somebody playing Madden. That's trying to make sure that they get this, this or that player enough developmental snaps, but obviously yes. that's not happening. So, mm-hmm. so what is there? Well, there's a chance Jenkins doesn't have the whole playbook down yet. There's a chance that some of the responsibilities that he has at guard are new enough to him that we don't realize that he's playing like 50 to 70% of the way ready, but playing as is just because he can. We mm-hmm. also don't know if Sam Mustafer's is getting all of the calls, right? We, we have no idea. Lucas Patrick was always going to be the starting center. And so there are some of these that if he's in there at guard, that the right guard can at the very least talk to Sam about what he's seeing and calling and make sure that Lucas kind of plays like a coach on the field role, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I thought white really struggled personally uh, on this last Sunday. I don't think he did anything particularly well. Uh, and it's not that he was horrible. It's that what he did wrong was really impactful and what he did right. Wasn't amazing, but Hey, bears win. So yeah, exactly. not going to, not going to dunk too hard. Um, I think it's going to be, I think that the Patrick Jenkins thing is something that I'm just going to kind of wait until it's over so that I don't have to talk about it much because it's strange. But the funny part is, is that to me, will whichever guy's playing at right guard, the right guard's still the best position on the line right now. And so, If it's Patrick and he's playing well, that's, that's good. And if it's Jenkins and he's playing well, that's also good. And so (laughs) I, the rotation is only working because the rest of the line may not be up to their standard. And that's all right. I think it's going to take time. Nobody expected Braxton Jones to jump in and immediately be an all pro. And I sure didn't. So Mm -hmm. at this point, Borum looks like he took a step forward. You asked about best five. I think the best five looks like uh, Borum, Cody, Patrick, Jenkins, and uh, and Jones, but Flip Boreham and Jones, because I got mm-hmm. them mixed up. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be the line forever. Like, if the Bears got an opportunity to add a really, really, really sweet tackle in free agency, they may take it. I mean, I don't know how committed they are to these young guys. I do get the impression that they want to truly give these guys, uh, these young guys a chance to develop so that by the end of the season, they have a good sense for, can you be our starter going forward or not? But we are talking about two fifth round tackles. A has been from the last regime, Sam Mustafer slash Lucas Patrick and a, somebody who is trying guard for basically the first time. So offensive line expectations are all bizarre and very out of whack, but mm-hmm. relatively solid performance from them uh, against San Francisco. It's a very
0: strong front in that, that they had to play against on Sunday mm-hmm. as well. Do you see just one more, I, I hate sure. talking about offensive line that much, but want Alex Leatherwood, do you see him fitting in here when he gets done with, you know, this uh, sickness of Mono, the Sam Darnold sickness is like what I, what I like to call it when the NFL players go through Mono?
1: Well, Mono is like a six month injury. So yeah, it's like when awful. Right. When he's done with it is a long darn time, but I don't know. I don't know. I think the the Leatherwood gamble is a good one to take, even if the Bears lose. I will applaud them attempting it. Like that's exactly the kind of move that a young team with plenty of cap space should be looking at. It sucks that he got mono for crying out loud. Yeah, exactly. But, but- I think they're going to be pretty open competition. I don't think that the Bears are in position to, or nor is Ryan Poles, to be like loyal loyal to anybody i think if zach thomas or jatari carter take a step forward that they're gonna play uh especially next year but i also get the impression it's just a feeling that i have but the bears aren't going to try to build like the best line in the North. I think they're trying to find a way to let scheme and time together and like basically try to build the most cost-effective offensive line possible. that can reach for above average with- within a scheme that makes them maybe even a little better than above average without having to necessarily do what the saints have done and spend two first round picks, two second round picks and a third rounder for their starting offensive line.
0: I, I agree completely. I agree. They let Taron Armstead walk, which seemed like, you know, one of the smarter things to do that that's coming from that franchise who has poured so much cap into their franchise year after year after year. So I was like, okay, that actually seems like a very smart move from the saints because um, I was just cracking up with bear fans. I'm like, Oh my gosh, we need to sign Teron Armstead. Who's going to play 12 games for us at like millions and millions of dollars. It's exactly the opposite thing of what Ryan Poles is trying to do here in Chicago. Right. He is not, there's veteran wide receivers out there that we probably could have signed to good. Like did I, I don't see anyone in Chicago complaining about not giving Christian Kirk $20 million a year. Like I am very happy that we did not sign Christian Kirk. I think he's doing it right. He's not going to go out there and be what like Ryan pace was and toss money at all these players who are going to come in and, you know, make an impact. Yes. But hurt us only down the road, which we've seen. Don't say that too
1: soon. Will. I know.
0: I know. We haven't gotten
1: the next season.
0: We have not. I know. But just from what I've seen, right now, it just seems like he's doing it right. And like I said, I want to be cautious with how I'm saying it because who knows, but it just feels like there's something right here.
1: Let's, Look, let's do I, before Before we switch topics, I have <laughs> to get a word in. Darnell Mooney's probably going to get like a 22 to $23 million a year extension. Like oh, yeah. Christian Kirk was one of the only Jacksonville receivers that was productive in last week. For as much as we... To, like tanked all over the Christian Kirk deal in this off season. I will point out that might be one of the more cost-effective deals that Jacksonville gave out. There are way worse signings than Christian Kirk, who maybe he's not a wide receiver one, but mm-hmm. he is their first option and is trying to help Lawrence out. I only say that because if I don't, it's going to sound like we're walking it back when the bears sign. Who's it? What's it? To a twenty million dollar a year deal in the off season in free agency next year, so we got to we got to call a spade a spade. The Kirk yeah. deal was huge, and then after that, the extensions that got given out to Tyree Kill, to DK Metcalf, to uh, oh my gosh, Devontae Adams, like they Jerry pushed McLaurin. the ceiling. They pushed the ceiling so much higher that an eighteen million dollar a year receiver was actually right about where Kirk should be.
0: Right, exactly.
1: That's that's what I'm thinking
0: about, like downstairs, like or down the road. Like Justin Jefferson might be like the first like thirty-five million dollar wide receiver in the NFL. Totally (laughs) possible. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's crazy money. And obviously the cap will rise year after year, but it's not going up as much as we think it is. We'll stick with the offense here for a little bit. I know you know, you being the film guy trying to take away what you saw out there it's tough to judge anything in what we saw in Sunday's game it's a monsoon out there it was atrocious that's what it was cracking me up another thing about Twitter is people are like oh my gosh Trey Lance looked awful Justin Fields stellar performance I'm like it's pouring rain out there like neither of these guys looked overly particularly great no. the thing that I took away from the game is that you know Justin Fields stepped up and made plays when needed to be made you know Trey Lance didn't. And that's whatever. It's a monsoon out there. I'm not taking anything away from either of these quarterbacks because of that game. It was awful, but comparing it to, you know, your film guy looking at Nagy's scheme from last season, what you took away and comparing it to what you saw from Getsy. I know Getsy's not tossing everything out there in a monsoon. So maybe down the road, we can bring this topic back up, but what are you seeing out there? That's, you know, making in the second half in particular, making Chicago's offense kind of work a little bit.
1: So, you know, ironically enough, I So I liked a lot of what the Bears did from a scheme perspective. I'm not about to just sit here and glow because the worst part is is that so you talk Nagy's offense i think one of the biggest misunderstandings is that i don't think Nagy ran the same offense in any of his four years in chicago i think that he attempted to iterate on it like truly as as much as we joked about it the 202 offense was an attempted iteration off of what they did in 2018 it just didn't work and then they went to 2020 and they scrapped it all and they tried to do like a shanahan blend but it was like somebody copying shan hands homework instead of actually knowing what's going on and then 2021 felt like they gave up like i don't know Mm -hmm. what they did in 2021 that was awful so there was a lot of things that the bears did on sunday that schematically were really cool uh and then the bears fanned on almost all of them like outside of the touchdown to equinamia st brown at the end nothing scheme wise that they tried to do in the passing game worked so we like while i would love to say that like the scheme made things so good will mm-hmm. the biggest play of the day the two biggest plays of the day were the one of the best play calls that gets he had with that jumbo touchdown to esb and a 51 yard touchdown play off of a broken play so exactly. it's not like scheme was making the passing game just flow mm-hmm. uh And I thought the bears called a ridiculous amount of runs. Like they called almost 65% run plays. And I don't think they think Justin Fields is that bad. Like normally you do that to shield a quarterback you think is not very good. So Mm -hmm. I'm convinced for what it's worth that Justin Fields couldn't grip the football. I mean, watching the way that he threw it a couple of times, like four to six times, the ball came so badly out of his hand and he had no fastball on his day that none. it made me think that he and Getzy were both of the understanding that he couldn't throw like he normally would, but what really opened up the offense. You talked about uh, like the plays at the end, what really started clicking. When Justin Fields started running the ball, he became the only thing that the 49ers couldn't explicitly defend within the context of normal defense. So they had to commit an extra defender to covering fields, if not two extra defenders. And it's funny because he ran it 11 times for 28 yards. It's not a particularly good running performance from fields on an, a, uh, an efficiency perspective, yeah. but the mat or like it's the magic of what will happen when you create a 51 yard touchdown with your legs, when you juke out a defender in the backfield and sprint forward for a first down, when you get another first down with your legs, you just become something the defense has to pay attention to. And assuming that it's dry enough to play, I imagine the bears are going to try to at least showcase that a little bit like in green Bay, because if you can say early, we are willing to go get first downs with fields. Then you can drop back and play a pretty ho-hum like pass attack with some cool scheme pieces throughout it, where your quarterback can finally throw the ball and they'll still wait for the run to come. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if what this is going to be like, because like you mentioned, it was a monsoon. We did not see everything that we fear or that we should in a dry field, but I am excited about what happened in that last game because Fields found a way. I mean, I don't feel like Shanahan gave Trey Lance the green light to be the dude. uh, And certainly he played within the system as well as he could. Trey Lance massively out threw Justin Fields, like not only on yards, but some of the strikes and the dimes that he threw in the same conditions, Fields literally could not match. Like he Mm -hmm. didn't try to match them, but Fields within the context of his offense carried the bears to an offensive victory where they scored 19 points to the other teams, three touchdowns, even to the other teams, 10. That's a very different script than we heard the last two years at minimum within the naggy offense.
0: I completely agree. Like you've seen the strike on Lance's throws. He was delivering the ball downfield. Well, some of those rips, I know. And I'm not saying like, Oh, Justin can't do that. I just don't think, you know, like with the weather conditions, we've seen Justin make those kind of throws before, just with the weather conditions, I was like, okay, maybe he, they're just trying to play it safe today and not, you know, not go into that. And I understand that completely. And I was, you know, I, like I said, like you said, I was extremely happy with what I saw just within his system and, you know, making it work. Do you think his legs are the best asset of his game? No, I see a lot. I see a lot of that. I think his, I think his arm is special and I see a lot of that coming from outside, you know, the Bears media and just, you know, the, nat- the nationwide media, like, oh, if you get him moving, oh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to get Justin Fields moving. Like, I think he's oh. he's so much better when he's, like, moving in the pocket and just, he, his legs are a strength, I think, but I don't think they're the best asset of his game. I do think it's his arm, and I, I'd like to know what your thoughts on that are.
1: So the, if you get him moving thing is such a dumb ism that you hear throughout a lot of NFL media. I I don't mean to be outrageously combative, but we saw what happened with Trubisky when they rolled him out, he was more productive than he was in the pocket, but he still wasn't efficient, especially when in the new Orleans game, the defense just kind of waited for him to do it. And, Dumped. i mean i'm surprised there weren't more injuries in that game specifically whereas they held the bears to three relevant points and if memory serves trubisky only picked up like 75 yards passing or something like that maybe it was closer to 90 not 100 yards until the very last drive of the game when the saints dropped into a bunch of prevent but that's not the point the point is is that people keep acting like somehow if you're on a rollout everybody's open and there's Not a lot exactly. of defenses that are starting to adjust for that let's put it this way by the time the media starts talking about it the defensive coordinators definitely know it's coming mm-hmm. so they're waiting for it um I think you asked earlier do I think Fields's legs are his best asset no but I will tell you that as good a quarterback as I think Fields is I think Jared Goff can throw the hell out of the football like, I think that there's a lot of things. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that can throw really well. Usually they aren't paired with a 4.3 second 40 jet engine like underneath them. Fields's legs aren't his best asset, but they are they make him an extremely unique quarterback to defend. Because while Patrick Mahomes can move, Patrick Mahomes' ability to throw off platform and basically have no platform and make whatever throw he wants is what separates him. And his legs are good enough to create space to make the ridiculous things we see him do. If Justin Fields runs a 4-7, he doesn't get out of the pocket to make the throw to Dante Pettis. So you tell me, Will, is like is Fields' arm his biggest strength? Or is the fact that his speed so differentiates him from the overwhelming majority of quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the biggest pieces to his game while he develops, because I honestly think they're closer than meet the eye. He has the opportunity to be a true dual threat quarterback in the NFL. The same thing that we heard about guys like Mitch Trubisky and that we hear about guys like Daniel Jones, but they just don't have the athleticism that fields does in particular when Mm -hmm. he, who is one of the best athletes on the football field, becomes a quarterback as well as one of the best athletes on the football field it puts defenses in that Lamar Jackson paradox and I would love to see fields try to master that because when you catch them saying we can't let him run on us he will kill us or we can't but we also can't let him throw on us he will kill us you end up with the early days of the Russell Wilson offense and that was a super productive offense to be in
0: very very productive offense and that's who I see out there like when I'm watching him I it does feel like I am watching a young Russell Wilson you know his numbers might not match up to what Russell Wilson was putting out there in his early days but he also had you know a lot of help around him in Seattle and his his young his young career let's go to the defense side because I mean I was stunned with Eddie Jackson I'm so happy like that is the one like Eddie Jackson was my favorite player in 2018. Everyone, you know, love Cleo Mack. Eddie Jackson was phenomenal in 2018. I mean, he was like, that was like, you know, once in a career seasons for some players, he seems to be so much more relaxed and comfortable. And I know that he had that uh, interview with Jeff Joniak today where he's finally feeling like he's in a great mental space. He's had a lot of off the field things, um, losing his best friend, losing two kids. That's, you know, obviously not going to be easy on any human being ever, let alone a guy who is in the national spotlight like this. But, um, but I feel like my thing about Eddie Jackson, and this might be, you know, stupid. You're seeing what's going on in the field a lot better. Once we lost Adrian Amos, it was just like a lot was on his shoulders. And we just drafted Jaquan Brisker, who I think plays a hell of a lot, somewhat sort of like Amos. He's a more of a box safety. He's going to go put those hits on players, but at the same time can cover the ball decently well. Do you think that's, you know, kind of, you know, maybe why Eddie played such a phenomenal game and getting back into that role, or do you think it's maybe more of like a defensive scheme? What's going on with Eddie and why, you know, it's only week one, but he just already looks so much more comfortable out there in this defense. Do you think it has something to do with the scheme or do you think it's maybe now that we have a player like Amos that we missed for the last three seasons coming in like Jaquan Brisker and helping them out a little bit more?
1: So it's not just, it's not just Brisker. That's the key. Right. I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that say, oh, it's because of the safety pairing. Think bigger, right? Okay. When when we make defensive comparisons, I think something that's easy to miss is that the offensive line. Okay, so you already know this, right? I'm about to say something you know that if one person screws up on the offensive line, the whole offensive line might as well have screwed up. Like it is an all or nothing unit, right? And so because of that, it's easy to tell yourself that the defensive line is like the offensive line of the defense, but they aren't. They're more like the wide receivers who with a wide receiver, if you have one player that's special and a bunch that aren't, you still have a special player. If you have one offensive lineman that's special and the rest of the linemen aren't, you have an incredibly unspecial offensive line, right? Follow so far? Following, yes. The DB room works much more like the offensive line does where it, it you are as bad as your worst defensive back, and you are definitely as bad as your second worst defensive back. And so right now, their second worst defensive back is either Jaquan Brisker or Kyler Gordon, you pick. Because honestly, I thought both of them had plenty of rookie moments. The all 22 was not near as kind to brisker as I think the broadcast tape was. And that's okay. Everybody calm down. He's a rookie. Like (laughs) we expect these things to happen. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of welcome to the NFL moments. And that's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily want to publicize because it's why, why not let people think that he's doing well? He did great for a second round rookie starting his first game against Kyle Shanahan, but He definitely missed a bunch of tackles. He was out of position plenty of times, and he wasn't asked to do what Eddie was. But the quarterback, Trey Lance, couldn't just ignore him. Like teams have been able to for now three years. I mean, think back to 2020, 2021. He had a safety next to him in to Sean Gibson, who's not super good. He had Kendall Vildor starting at a corner who he gets way too much hate, but he's a fifth round rookie or at the time he was a fifth round sophomore for a reason. He had Duke Shelley in at the nickel who never should have been starting. And then you had Jalen Johnson. So at any point, any quarterback could have looked at any of those other three options. Just don't look at four right? Why target four if you don't have to target four? And what I think changed, because a lot of people are saying Eddie's back is the DB room got good enough to force a quarterback to push the ball in Eddie's direction. And Eddie just, let's say he gave him the opportunity and then he took it away from him. Right? Like Eddie Jackson has never, in my opinion, stopped being good. I think there are a lot of people who have really wanted to make him bad and he's certainly oh, yeah. had some unlucky moments like I, I hope you watched the last game of the season last year, because if you <laughs> Unfortunately, do, fortunately, <I> <laughs> if you do, you remember Eddie Jackson literally standing with Jalen or with Justin Jefferson in yes. the end zone standing yes. still. He looked back to figure out whether the play was over and the ball zipped over his head. As he turned his head outrageously unlucky, not something you can allow to happen as a defensive back, but understandable from a human perspective. Cause that route ended two seconds earlier and he turned around like, is this down still going? And you gave up a touchdown and a long one at that. Like Eddie Jackson has had plenty of moments where the people who wanted to say he's regressed had kind of an argument but I've always been somebody who looks at Eddie as it's more about what he does on the down to down, right? I care much more about what does he take away when somebody is in his zone? How does he move to attack crossing routes that are supposed to victimize him? What does he do when the defense tries to put him in conflict and he's consistently stood up to the test. So when, uh, I think it was last year when Jamar Chase beats Kendall Vildor down the sidelines, and Eddie runs over to hit him. And as he runs over to hit him, Jamar Chase juts inside like a solid three yards to catch the ball. And Eddie Jackson ends up blasting Kendall Vildor. That doesn't really bother me because that's the corner's responsibility, and the safety's doing what he can to help, but he can't watch the football. It's it's tough, man, because I'm mm-hmm. starting to get a little too highfalutin, and I know that, but. Safety, the more the more I have studied football, the more I've become enamored with watching safety play because I think it's an incredibly misunderstood position. I think number four is one of the best assets this Bears defense has. I think Jaquan Brisker couldn't be learning from a better, uh, like better player at the position. And he in particular has me very excited for what's going to come on Sunday. Not because picking off Aaron Rodgers is an easy task, but because think of it this way. Defensive backs, I think, can create a lot more pressure on a quarterback, especially a quarterback who doesn't have a ton of receiving weapons around him, than the defensive line can because, as simple as it sounds, Will, if they can give the defensive line three full seconds instead of two seconds, 2.25 seconds, 2.1 seconds, but three full seconds, that is a much longer time to stand back there with the ball, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I, I love what you said about how you don't think that Eddie has disappeared. What has disappeared is the interception numbers and, you know, the returns for the touchdowns, the excitement we saw. in Production. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like the last few years I've seen all these tweets like, oh, Eddie Jackson had a great game in coverage, but then you'll still see all these tweets like, "Where is Eddie Jackson been these last three years? And it's like, I understand, you know, his numbers, you know, aren't what like you see in a once in a lifetime season in 2018, but he's still playing solid football. Like he's not an awful player out there on the field. Yeah. Like you said, he's had his moments, his unlucky moments as well, where you're sitting there and you're like, what the hell was that? But at the same time, I think he's always been a solid football player. And I'm just, it was really nice to see him get that interception because it's just been like, that's what we've been missing from him. And just to see that moment. And like, it made me feel really, really good. Um, Just because we've missed that so much from him, him being that ball hawk. That player, oh, yeah. but that's not to say that he's an awful player. These last three years, it's just that we haven't, we've missed the, the bigger statistics, and when it comes to
1: interceptions, I think everybody keeps trying to individualize defensive production. Exactly right. They keep they keep trying to make it out as if a safety has this many pass deflections, this many interceptions, and therefore he is this good. Similar to sacks. Honestly, I'll even lump sacks into this category. If you're on a defensive line and you're trying to get a bunch of sacks, but your defensive backs are awful and your linebackers can't cover, it's going to be hard because you're just going to struggle to put them in third and long situations. And even in third and long situations, they're going to still try to get the ball out quickly on you. It's much easier to get sacks when your defensive backs can cover because it takes them a while, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, you've got more time to get back there. In the same token, you can't pick off passes that aren't thrown to you. like They're not even thrown near you. If, exactly. if you're on the, the right side of the field in cover four and they attack the short left side of the field, is it Eddie's fault that he can't pick that off? I don't think so. I think that's ridiculous. And mm-hmm. so it's it's weird because I think there's a lot of people out there that keep trying to make football, defensive football, something that it isn't. Mm-hmm. Like they'll, they'll count tackle numbers and the guy in the yeah. middle of the defense has a ton of tackles. I'm stunned uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> but defense is truly a team game. Like offense mm-hmm. is yes. a team game too, but defense is a team game, team game. Oh, yeah. And and if if Kendall Vildor doesn't bring his A game, then Jalen Johnson won't get thrown at. And in my opinion, Eddie's had way more games where you just don't even hear his name for the most part. And I think that's great. Like yep. I think that there are a lot of things. The fact that we don't see four victimized in coverage all the time. Like I I would tell you Bears fans if I did. I don't, and that's really fun because I think that the coverage piece is harder than trying to get safeties that come up and tackle well because as, as important as tackling is, I will take the guy that denies a first down on third and 12 over the guy that allows a first down and makes the tackle.
0: Love it. Every part of what you just said right there. Perfect. You, you nailed that right there, Robert. <laughs> you, you, you nailed that right there. Let's look into Sunday night. This is, this is what everybody wants to hear. Let's look into Sunday night. Nine and a half dogs in Lambeau on Sunday night. Like I said earlier, we've seen this storyline before. My favorite part about this is that you know the NFL schedule makers made this week two Sunday night primetime because they 100% predicted the Bears to lose week one in the Packers yes. beat the Vikings. And for us to be completely tied at the all-time wins. And for the Packers to blow us out and be like, look at the Packers. They're the greatest franchise ever now. And they cannot do that. That is that. I, thought about that, as, I thought about that as soon as they made the schedule, I'm like, they're literally setting this up for that exact storyline. And I just pray to the heavens that it is not that. And the Bears win and the Packers lose. So they're even farther back now. I just, I'm, I'm not saying that the Packers are going to pass us. Odds are they're passing us sometime this year. You never, hey, you never know. You
1: never know. NBC <laughs> needs a story right? And the story, whether, look, you said earlier, like, I'm not going to fall into the hope. Tons of Bears fans out there saying like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to hope this time. I know how this ends, but I'm telling you that the story went from, are the Packers about to be the winningest franchise in NFL history to is Justin Fields about to change everything? Like it's, it's corny. I know that, but like what, what's the better story, right? I feel like the focus went from being on the Packers like onus on the Bears to hold the record, even though the Bears were like not the favorite, you know, to is this grindy Bears team led by a brand new quarterback like in his second season under talented everybody knows that predicted to be the worst team in football the worst part about the media will is that the media will predict that the bears are the worst team in football and then they will write killer stories about how this team was predicted to be the worst team in football what if they aren't and you know what i mean like and, the,
0: and, and unfortunately i'll eat it up i'll i'll eat everything. we second. all will <laughs> i will love it i'll be like oh my gosh
1: like the media the, yeah. They'll say this team was picked like they didn't do it. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, exactly. But Exactly.
1: All the same. Like the story this I'm I'm dying to know how it, or how NBC is going to frame it, but if I had to guess this this suddenly becomes is the Packers dynasty almost over because who else would signal the end than a Bears quarterback? Like mm-hmm. it yes. it's it's the stuff that makes your spine tingle. You yes. know what I mean? Like yes. How else would a Bears franchise quarterback assert himself than beating the Packers? And did you know that a Bears head coach has beaten the Packers every single, every single debut year, like a, every time there's a brand new Bears head coach, they beat the Packers within the year, whether it's the first game or the second game, it has never not happened in, in Trestman, It was the Shea McClellan game where the Packers yes, Monday, where got Monday hurt. night game,
0: Monday night mm-hmm. game. In John, 2018, Fox was
1: Thanksgiving. In John, John Fox's Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, the, in, uh, in 2018, it was Matt Nagy and Matt Nagy beat the Packers on, uh, or like the second time around to clinch the NFC North. Yes. I'm, I'm not saying that if history has to repeat itself, that Matt Eberflus is going to win and it's going to be this game bear down. Like I would love that. But what I am going to say is the Packers right now are as unhealthy as they probably will be all of this year. Like, it's not the whole stable of weaponry. It's not as good as they're going to get. We're catching the Packers while Christian Watson is as undeveloped as he will be. We're catching the Packers while Alan Lazard is still struggling. It's an ankle injury, right? Yeah. Like still struggling to get over an ankle injury. And who's to say he doesn't play like Superman? I don't know. But Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari are still wounded in some capacity. Like if there was a game Let's put it this way. I said on a 49ers podcast last week, and I'm very proud of myself. You're going to be proud of myself too. I said, or you're going to be proud of me too. I said, this Bears offense may not be good, but I have a lot more faith in them to score 17 to 20 points per game than I ever had in the Nagy era. I don't know if this is going to be the team because I don't know. I don't think they're talented enough to to hang 40 on anybody, but I don't think we'll see as many three point games. You know what I mean? I agree completely. Yeah. So if that's the case and you do agree completely, then what if the, what if the Packers come into this game down four major offensive pieces? Well, it would probably be low scoring. Well, if it's low scoring and the or and the bears find a way to score their 20 points a game, can the Packers beat that? That's the question I want the answer to, because I don't know if this, I'm, I don't think this offense, like if it happens, I'm going to, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to be really annoying on Twitter for a while. But, like, I would love for them to hang 450 yards on the Packers and, like, 35 points. I doubt it'll happen. But if the defense can hold the Packers to 17 points and the Bears score 20 points, they win. So Exactly. Exactly. We'll see. But I I really think it comes down to 20 is the waterline. Can the Packers score more than 20? Because the Bears probably won't but I do think they'll get more. I I think people are so accustomed to Bears teams because for as much as there's new coaching change, everybody judges every franchise like they've seen the last years of the franchise. I keep forgetting Robert Sala is a Jets coach. I just look at them as the Jets. And if I do that, everybody does. You know what I mean? So people look at the Bears and they keep thinking of these absolutely pitiful offensive like scorings, just like the first half last week, pitiful. That's yes. that's the franchise, but they found their way to 19 points. It mm-hmm. won't surprise me on a dry field if they find their way to 20. So can the Packers score more than 20 because the bears of yore have a defense that always massively outperforms expectations. So if that defense is stingy enough to hold them to 17, hold them to 19, hold them to 16 and the bear and the bears squeeze out another extremely low scoring win, it's a win. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not saying it's possible. I'm saying that, or I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying that if the front four can get pre- or so if Dominic Robinson brings his A game and continues to look like Robert Quinn liked, that that'll probably give the Packers some serious trouble on passing downs. I think Angelo Blackson and Armand Watts were very, very surprising. Justin Jones did not play like I think some fans expected him to, but he surprised me because he didn't. he wasn't awful. I really did not like that signing. And that was mm-hmm. a pleasant surprise for me. And again, that doesn't mean the defensive line is good. It means they might be competent. So if they're competent, then they could put the Packers like you are allowed in football, as you know, well to concede three first downs and make the stop at the 45 and still call it a win. I do. Oh hell yeah. Oh, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I won't surprise me if all the bears need to do is win a couple of first downs to, to basically compromise on second down. And if you can force 10 third downs in this game, they're not going to score that many, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, going back to your statement on, you know, defensive wins, I take any drive where they don't put up points a win. You know, the, the Jalen Johnson punch out on Debo Samuel. It's a win. win. It's a win. I don't care if you gave up 50 yards on the play before that. It's Bears football. It's a win. What What do the Bears got to do? Like you said, you know, I guess break it down just a little, you know, a little more. You know, you got the the Bears need to score twenty. The Packers need to go sixteen. But when I don't know if you've watched much film from the Packers and Vikings game, Justin just a little Jefferson, bit. Justin Jefferson had a game as he always does. Suffice to there's, say, there's <laughs> there's there's seem to be some obvious holes in their defense, though. They they seem to be very, you know. They seem to struggle very much, obviously, against the Vikings somewhat. I mean, they only put up, what, 23 points? I, I was guess about to it's say, not-
1: I would still call that a defensive win, but that's also because last year, offenses averaged like 25 and a half points a game. It, it got mm-hmm. wild. It's it's weird because I actually really like the Packers' defense. I think a lot of what I they know, do. I think, they're,
0: I think they're very good. Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos. Mm-hmm.
1: And from a scheme perspective, they play one of the most interesting bend don't break styles that I've ever seen. They play a lot mm -hmm. of five down fronts. They play a ton of exotic, like zone dropbacks. They'll blitz somebody and then have Preston Smith cover the flat. They, they take disguising to a whole new level. Like the bears defense is kind of boring in a good way. They, the, the bears defense has subtle rotations and subtle differences that they, they try to do. They're not, quite as crazy i'd say as the uh as the packers were and sometimes that meant matching up a linebacker on justin jefferson justin jefferson catching a quick out because duh he can beat a linebacker and taking it 25 yards up the field like Mm -hmm. it's when you've got the guy (laughs) like justin jefferson he can tear apart a defense that's matching up too many different people on him and that's not to say jair should have shadowed him he's Justin Jefferson's basically unguardable when he's on his a game. But the point exactly. is, as that relates to the bears, I think that what they're going to have to do, it's simple and everybody likes to act like, okay, so the running backs don't matter. Stuff has made us set, made us think that the run game doesn't matter, but the run game is the lifeblood of a lot of offenses. Like it takes being a special passer to avoid having the run game being really important. And the Packers, because of where they're at, are no different. I think mm-hmm. I think AJ Dillon, I think Aaron Jones, I think most of the Packers LaFleur-based run scheme is awesome. Like there's a lot of stuff that they do that really works. Mm-hmm. But like the Vikings, I think what the Bears have to do is they have to do what they can to limit the Packers to minimal gain on the run game, I would rather lose because Christian Watson went off. I would rather lose because Randall Cobb found 90 yards in the air and Romeo Dobbs picked up 75 at a touchdown than lose because Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon combined for 160 yards on the ground and just hammered the Bears down the field. I think the Bears have to do what they can. They got it, they got a big boost. Last week from a muddy field, they probably won't get near the same conditions this weekend. So they've got to find a way to plug the run as much as possible. And I can't believe I'm saying this, make Aaron Rodgers beat them. Now he he has done it before. Yes. <laughs> this is yes. this is a plan that is rough, right? Because yeah. it, it obviously has Some, let's say some problem points, but I'm as I understand it, Robert Tanyan isn't playing. As I understand it, like Alan Lazard will be wounded. They're going to be missing plenty of, they're they're missing enough components for the Bears to catch them with their pants down. Basically, Mm -hmm. it's not that it's a trap game, it's that I don't think anybody's more aware of how he's dominated the Bears than Aaron Rodgers is. So I don't know why, like. It's going to be a real test of metal for a 38-year-old man who doesn't have DeVonte Adams, looked extremely visibly frustrated. And if the Bears can get to him early, I'm not about to tell you that I think Aaron Rodgers is going to give up, but his emotions may get the better of him. So, we will see what happens. I don't think will the Bears can win a shootout. I do think the Bears have a chance if they can get the better of the Packers' offense and hold on to that advantage for as long as possible rogers has made i mean not that i want to make you relive it but the game will not be over until it's over and 2019's one-legged comeback is a great reminder of that like oh, this that was brutal it was awful i mean honestly one of the most heroic nfl performances ever um yeah. it just sucks that it was against the bears no but yeah we we will just Have to see. I mean, I am of the opinion. So if you ask me about a college game, I say throw the tape out the window. It's a rivalry week. Right. And I'm really curious to see if that applies to the NFL here because it's a rivalry week. I mean, yeah, this is a game just not to turn everything into storybook because you're right. I am a film person, but like I've seen this movie before, Will. Like this game is huge to the Bears. Who, if they want to make a statement, they know that if they walk out of Lambo with a win, it makes as loud a statement as you possibly can. This game is huge for the Packers, because if you don't beat the Bears, who are projected to be one of the worst teams in football, that is embarrassing. And you just lost the Vikings. You can't drop two divisional games back to back to open up the season, especially not right after you lost Devonte Adams, after you lost in a conference championship game. Like if Rogers, even if we just put it on one player, if Rogers is concerned with legacy, this is a massive legacy moment. Where he needs that dead cap bounce so that he can like so that he can put the team back on its feet, so that it doesn't look like Devontae Adams is carrying a quote unquote weak wide receiver group. And Rodgers with back-to-back MVPs is going to be one of the most scrutinized players in the league on Sunday Mm -hmm. night. I mean, we are people are acting like people are coming for Justin Fields. They won't be. If Fields, if Fields completes a 30-yard pass, you're going to hear about how special he is. You know, something that gets done almost every week by almost every quarterback. Davis Mills completed plenty of those, but it feels like it feels runs for a first down. People are going to glow. I, I really think that if I was honest with you, I really think that NBC would want the bears to win because it's a way more interesting game, but that means that Rogers has to stop the title wave himself, you know, like all the hype, all of, all of, all of it. Mm Rodgers has to find a way to beat a team that he has beaten forever so that the bell doesn't toll on his career. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. I am just sitting here. Like from a scheme perspective, they've got to plug the run. I think continuing to do what they did last week, playing four down, getting penetration, trying to force Shanahan or in this case, it's Lafleur into avoiding the offensive line as much as possible. is not a bad strategy. The trouble is, is that I don't know whether the defensive lines weaknesses are going to manifest themselves now that they're not playing an interior offensive line that doesn't suck. Like the 49ers interior offensive line was not very good and it didn't really get a lot of play. So <laughs> How good are the Packers going to be? I mean, I've seen, Will, too many of these games where they start Joey, Joey two left feet at left tackle, and he plays like an all-pro. So I won't believe it until I see it. But in a world where the Bears front four can control the line of scrimmage, everybody's heard that term before. But the more you learn about football, Will, the more you start to come back to all the stuff that you've heard coaches say for forever and get what they mean. Right. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's heard the term control the line of scrimmage and everybody acts like it's easy. It's not easy, which is why, if you can do it, it flips the game on its head. Right. If we, do you remember all those games where Akeem Hicks and the bears just absolutely swallowed the Vikings whole in 2018 and 2019, when you can't run the ball, loved every second of it, when you can't run the ball at all, your offense is stuck. And so if the bears can take that away, They will force Aaron Rodgers to pass to a secondary. That's probably the strength of the team rookie mistakes or not. And not only that, but in the world of youth, you're putting youth against youth. So for every, every, every mistake Jaquan Brisker makes for every mistake, Kyler Gordon makes, I would expect a mistake out of Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. So then it's kind of just what can Lazard do, but Lazard should get manned up by Jalen Johnson for the most part Mm -hmm. and Roquan Smith. So I'm not saying that this game heavily favors the bears. I'm saying that the Packers are missing the pieces that would probably make them as competitive as possible. And if I, you, if I had to pick between are the bears going to beat them this week or when they visit soldier field, I would prefer this one because (laughs) like they are catching the Packers at a good time. They're catching them a little unready and a little maybe a little shell shocked, maybe, but I don't think the bears are going to get, this could be a hot take. I don't know how much the bears are going to truly get better as the season goes on. I think that there's a lot of their stuff that they don't have on tape yet. And so, because they don't have it on tape, they're kind of impossible to scout, you know? And so if they're impossible to scout and they didn't get to debut much of it last week, then they get to debut it this week. (laughs) And that's going to put, uh, Oh my goodness. I can't remember the Packers DC's name, but that's going to put him in a hole and it'll be interesting to see what he does
0: Robert you're phenomenal that was awesome you I was over here sitting with the storyline of hell yeah NBC can't talk about the Packers and the Bears and the whole most wins ever and now I'm sitting here all I I mean you gave me you gave me spine tingling myself Ryan Robert I mean I am Ooh, I'm, I'm I'm a lot more geared up than I was before this interview. You just flipped the storyline on me. You know, Justin. The Bears did. Steals, they you know?
1: won. They're one and zero. The Packers like, aren't. <laughs> like, I,
0: that's that's what's awesome about you. you. Look at it from you look at it from a different perspective. Give me your predictions for tomorrow night's game, and uh, we'll wrap it up.
1: If I had to guess, the Bears go into the fourth quarter with a 17 to 10 lead and lose 24 to 17 in a heartbreaker, maybe 24 to 20. I think that they're going to cover the nine and a half point spread. I don't know if they're going to win. Uh, I want it to surprise me, too, because I have seen too many of these. Like, Rodgers can summon the capability of a football god when he wants to, and he seems to do it a lot against Chicago. So kind of like how people stopped stop stopped suggesting that Father Time was ever gonna touch Tom Brady, I'm gonna stop suggesting the Bears beat the Packers when it comes to an actual prediction but it won't surprise me if they find a way. I think this game is gonna get weird. <laughs> like <laughs> I I think that somebody's gonna block up hunt and I don't know which team that's gonna be on. I think like if there was a game that I was gonna just predict utter mayhem, this one to me has mayhem written all over it because even if the bears just get annihilated, blown out, right? 35 to 10 and Justin Fields, those three interceptions, I will not see it coming because he's taking care of the ball much better than that in his past. Yes. So there's a lot of things at the at play here. Like how's the bears offensive line going to hold up against Preston Smith. Uh, their Preston Smith, Rashad Gary, who's very good. No matter how much bears fans tried to clown on the pick at the time. Uh, And Kenny Clark, like that's going to be a real test. But mm-hmm. also I think the 49ers defensive line was as good or better. So it's, it's a tough matchup. There are tough matchups all across the board. Mm-hmm. There are a bazillion and a half reasons that this game is going to be low scoring. So if it's low scoring, I mean, Look, let's put it this way, Will, because I, I don't want to get you too fired up, but this is real, right? In a in a high scoring game, f- rolling out and throwing a touchdown to Dante Pettis is something that you just let roll off your back. You know, it's 24 to seven now. So who cares? It's basically the gist of it. But because the Bears had held the 49ers to 10, one touchdown made all the difference. And so if the Bears can keep the score low. All Fields has to do is find another way to win. And it'll probably have to be through him carrying it. I don't think, no matter how much the Bears would like to, that it's going to be David Montgomery or Khalil Herbert that just freaking cruise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the Bears Bears fans right now, I'll close with this, have exactly what they asked for. I had Bears fans in my mentions all over the last two years, I want to play the Packers. I want to play Rodgers, and I want to beat him. This is that moment. We're in Lambeau. There's just enough problems on the Packers roster to make this feasible. The Rodgers is definitely playing, but he may not be playing at full strength compared to what we're accustomed to. And it is on Fields' shoulders to manage some offensive output. But it's also going to be a very heavy defense oriented game because the Bears have to keep the lid on that Packers offense. You asked earlier um, on the 10 minute drill on Wendy Cedar Gridiron, they asked me what was my matchup of the game. Eddie Jackson slash Jaquan Brisker on Christian Watson is the number one that I'm watching. You can't give Aaron Rodgers free points. And Christian Watson toasted some Vikings players and just didn't catch the ball. I don't want to bet on a drop. I, I don't in Lambo want to allow Packer Magic to score a 65-yard touchdown ever. This If this is going to be low scoring, you can't give a freebie away, and it's going to be on that Bears coverage team to make sure they take that away and just force Aaron Rodgers to dink and dunk his way down the field. We will see what happens, but I'm expecting mayhem, and I cannot wait. Check out
0: his stuff on Witty City Gridiron. His YouTube channel, once again, is RPO plus Second City Gridiron. And you need to follow him on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. He is your Bears go-to film guy. Robert, thank you so much. Phenomenal interview. Phenomenal. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed that wonderful interview with Robert. We will be back this week breaking down the Bears-Packers game. Are the Sox going to the postseason? And what is next for the Chicago Cubs and... You know, maybe we'll slip in some Bulls action for you guys. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Around the Loop. Peace.